Well, good morning, Foothill Church. My name is J.D. Hedema. Uh, I am the church planting pastor of Echo Church. We're about 20, 25 minutes southeast of, of us here. And, uh, you know, Brian was just up here talking about uh, your generosity and how that has really flowed over into some really neat things God is doing in the, the Foothill, uh, you know, youth ministry uh, impact. Uh, that's amazing. And I, I, I could actually echo that and say, echo, get that? I didn't even mean to do that. I did it last service, too. I could echo that and say your generosity has been flowing over into some really neat things that God has been doing in Echo Church. And so uh, I want to personally say thank you uh, to those that have supported us and continue to support Foothill as they're our, our planting church. And I'd also invite you to come by and see us. We meet Sunday nights down in Chino, uh, and we go from six, about 6 to 7.30. And it would just be encouraging to have you come out once and just see, see what we're doing. So uh, loved inviting every one of you to come. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a joy. It's a joy to be here and to be uh, up here with you guys uh, just going through the word together. So with that said, let's open up to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 will be in verses 20 to 33. Proverbs 1, 20 to 33. Let me give a clarification before we start this morning. Uh, this is going to be a sermon. I'm just going to tell you right off the front. This is going to be a sermon about choosing Jesus rather than the world. Okay? This is, this is God's word, and what God's word is saying to us is, is choose Jesus rather than the world. Now, it's a parenting series. We've been moving through this Proverbs, parenting in Proverbs series now a number of weeks. And, and so we're going to take God's word, and we're going to apply that at times to parenting. But I know that there are some of you in here that are already thinking, okay, what does a parenting service have to, a parenting series have to do with me? Because some of you are perhaps single and kids are not on the horizon for you. you perhaps you're married and kids are not on the horizon for you. Or perhaps you've been trying to have kids and you've been unable up to this point. It, it, it has not worked and... and your, the very fact that we're doing this series is painful. And so I, I want, what I want you to hear from God's word this morning is that, yes, we're going to be taking this and we're going to be applying it at times to parenting. But this is God's word and God's word was not written just to parents. This is not just a parenting manual. Praise God. This is a, this is a book for each and every one of us. This is what God has to say to each and every one of us. So I hope, if you're not a parent, that you will hear me this morning and you will realize that God, through his spirit, wants to speak to you. So I pray that you'll hear me and I pray that you'll realize that, that, that this book is, is for you. No matter what your state of life or your family situation right now. Now that said... I'd like to give you a little bit of context before we get in, just as far as my, my own life. I am a parent. I have a four-year-old, I have a two-year-old, and I have a three-month-old. Four-year-old's a girl, and then the, the two younger ones are boys. And I have become aware over the last four years that parenting is hard. You've heard that a lot, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to echo my own testimony to that statement. Parenting can be hard. Even simple things that we previously did become far more complex with when you're a parent. So for instance, getting in the car I, and going somewhere. I mean, I, I used to get in the car and I used to put my seatbelt on and my wife would get in the car and she knew how to put her own seatbelt on. So it was easy, right? We just jumped in, 
we would, where we want to go. I don't know, let's go somewhere, you know, and we would go. Now, parenting has just made everything more complex. Now it looks like this. Let's say that we want to come to church on a Sunday morning. I will say, yell upstairs to Audrey and Owen, my two oldest, and say, Audrey, Owen, it's time to go. And Audrey, being the obedient child, will come down first. And she'll come down usually without shoes on. And so I will, her now being four years old, toss her shoes and say, go ahead and throw those on. We're going. Come on. We got to go. It's at that moment, often, that my daughter will decide that she wants to pretend she's a sloth. (laughs) I'm not using that as a metaphor for her just being slow. I'm literally telling you she pretends to be a sloth. She goes, okay, dad. And I'm going, come on, we got it, come on. And she, she just starts like putting her shoes on real, really, really slow. And it's about that time that my son is coming down the stairs, carrying all of his earthly possessions in his arms. In our family, these are called his items. These are the items he wants to bring with him because he thinks that's what he's going to need wherever it is that we're going. And so he's got dump trucks falling off on his left and race cars falling off on his right. And he's trying to come down the stairs carrying all these things. And he keeps setting them all down to pick up one. And he just keeps, you know, and he's never getting down the stairs. And so finally, like herding cats, we get them into the car. And then they sit in these seats And I have never been able to figure these seats out in four years, but it's like something NASA invented to go to the moon. I mean, they are straps and buckles and things all over the place. And inevitably, the child sits on the thing that they're supposed to use to buckle everything in. So you're like digging in there and you're maneuvering limbs around to try to get your kid just to get there. I used to judge parents who showed up late for church. <laughs> I did. I was, I was married and didn't have kids. I'm like, what's the problem? I don't judge you anymore. I understand. If you come late to church, I get it. You intended to be here 30 minutes early and it didn't work. Now, parenting's hard with tasks. It can sometimes feel harder when we're talking about the heart issues of our children. How do we shepherd them? How do we guide them and lead them towards where we're supposed to? And then if you just did an online search or if you happen to be on social media just going through, you will find a thousand different philosophies, if you will, of what it looks like to actually parent a child well. Everybody has their opinion and everybody seems to be very forceful with their opinion that everybody else should be following exactly what they're doing. And it can be confusing. It can be complex. And as I open up God's word and I see what God's word actually says to us, I rejoice time and time again that what God's word actually says to us is remarkably simple. I don't mean simplistic. I don't mean that it's trying to just say, well, none of that stuff matters. I mean it's simple in that what God's word is giving us is is that thing that we should be shooting for that kind of causes everything else in life to fall in line. In other words, what's at the heart of the issue? What's at the heart of parenting? What are we supposed to do in general? What's our one goal? And as I open up God's word, there it is, faithful as ever, telling us, here is the one goal. 
that we have as parents. So let's look at our text. And here's what I want you to see right off the bat this morning. Here's the main point. Train your children to get wisdom because their very lives are at stake. Wisdom is a wonderful friend, but a terrifying enemy. Okay. Now, some of you immediately, when you hear me say that, are going, where's Jesus? This is supposed to be a sermon. You're supposed to be talking about Jesus. And I'll tell you, Jesus is coming. I mean, he's coming, but he's also coming into our sermon, okay? In fact, we might even change our main point in a minute. But I want you to see the main point as it is. Let me say it one more time. Train your children to get wisdom because their very lives are at stake. Their very lives. Wisdom is a wonderful friend, but a terrifying enemy. So, let's look at our text. And I want us to see there's a structure here for our text as we get into it. I want you to notice that verses 20 to 22 are wisdom's public plea. Wisdom is publicly speaking and making a plea. Verses 20, verse 23 is wisdom's promise. Verses 24 to 31 is wisdom's wrath. And verses 32 to 33 is wisdom's final plea. Okay? So let's look at wisdom's public plea in verses 20 to 22. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So I want to start by asking a question, and it has to do with the first word that we just read right there, wisdom. And I want to ask, who is wisdom? Why is wisdom speaking here? And why is wisdom a woman? So there's two answers, in my opinion, to the question, why is, who is this wisdom and why is wisdom specifically personified as a woman here? First, first answer, please remember that this is a father speaking to his son. His most likely adolescent, pubescent son. He's a teenager. And the father is speaking to him in such a way as he's wanting to make his words compelling to his son. So he makes the right path, if you will, a woman. And now his son is listening. Okay, dad, I'm interested in this. Okay, so in, in some sense, I think the answer is that the father is saying, look, the right way to go, the right way to live is, is, is this woman that is calling out to you. But later on, there will be another woman in the book of Proverbs that calls out. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Here is this other woman. With much seductive speech, she persuades with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. 
Who is this woman? This is the adulterous woman from Proverbs 7. This is another woman calling to him, beckoning him to come for sexual immorality. And so here now are two women being contrasted by the father to the son. She'll call to you, son. The Proverbs 7 woman will call to you. But then he continues on and he looks and we bring wisdom back in. Wisdom is calling as well. Look at Proverbs 8 verses 1 and 2. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. And then down a few verses later. Here, verses 6 and 7. Here, for I will speak noble things, she says, and from the my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. So one answer to the question of why a woman is that the father is contrasting two women and the adulterous woman calls and wisdom calls and it's as if the father is asking, which woman are you going to choose, son? He's brought the situation into something that probably his son could understand. I, I, I can get that, that I, am, I have the potential of pursuing two women. Which one do I choose? But there's a deeper reason. There's a deeper answer to this question of who is wisdom. And I'd like to, to look, stay in Proverbs chapter 8 and start in verse 22. You can read along with me or read up on the screen. I'd like you to read carefully with me. The next fairly large section that comes in Proverbs 8. Here is wisdom speaking again. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So you may notice a few things from this text about wisdom. For instance, verses 22 and 24, wisdom is with God the Father before time began. But wisdom is not claiming to be God the Father. Number two, Wisdom seems to be involved with God the Father in the making of the world. Did you see that there in verses 27 through 29? And how about this? There is mutual joy and love between God the Father and wisdom. Verse 30. When John begins his gospel, the book of John, he wrote this about Jesus. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So is wisdom 
Jesus? For all intents and purposes, we can say, yes, wisdom is Jesus. And that, and that causes some of us to scratch our head, well, isn't wisdom a woman? Why? I don't get that. As, as, as Solomon is, is speaking about and personifying wisdom in his situation, yes, he makes wisdom a woman. Maybe for the first reason. Maybe because it's his son he's talking to. But what Solomon maybe wasn't even aware of is how his words were actually shaping and even prophesying what was to come in Jesus Christ. In other words, Solomon may not have been aware that he was speaking about Jesus. So that John can then look back at what has been said about wisdom and go, yes, that is Jesus Christ. Do we want to change our main point now? Train your children to get Jesus. Because in Jesus is the embodiment of all wisdom. To say get wisdom and to say get Jesus is to say the same thing. So, if we make this connection now between Jesus and wisdom, some more amazing things begin to emerge out of the text. For instance, I want you to notice in back to Proverbs 1 now. Proverbs 1 verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. Here's the idea. Wisdom is proclaiming this stuff in the open. There is no person to whom wisdom is saying, you can't know these things. You can't know what is true about me. There are lots of religions and mystery cults that speak about wisdom being a secret thing that only the initiate gets. And once you've gone through the initiation rites and you've gotten inside, now you get to understand the real truth. That's so far from biblical Christianity where wisdom is speaking to anyone and everyone who will listen to her. She stands at the highest place and says, let me speak to you about who I am. Let me call you to come to me. And we see Jesus in Matthew 23, 37. He stands in the temple where everyone was gathered and says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Here is Jesus proclaiming to everyone. And Isaiah will speak, prophesying about Jesus and say, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the fountain. Drink. Just like wisdom, Jesus is crying out from the hilltop saying, Come to me. Come to me. So back to Proverbs 1, 20 through 22, we see now that wisdom is speaking something very specific. Look at verse 22. How long, O simple ones, wisdom says now, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? We think of that word simple and it doesn't really compute with us, right? Because we don't use simple about people. Simple is like a task, like an easy task. The word simple in Hebrew is probably better translated gullible. This is a person that is easily persuaded by others to do something. This is a gullible person. 
Now, let's realize in our culture that a gullible person oftentimes kind of gets a pass with us. Have you noticed that? Gullible gets kind of associated with innocent. And so if somebody's gullible, they're not really a bad person per se. They're just just kind of innocent. They haven't quite figured life out yet. And we typically pat them on the head and go, that's okay. But you realize wisdom is not treating this gullible person this way. Wisdom is saying here, how long, O gullible one, are you going to continue to being gullible? And notice that there is a trajectory here. Do you see the next, the next thing that wisdom then says is, is to the scoffers. So it's as if we move from being gullible, easily persuaded. Perhaps I choose the good side. Perhaps I choose the bad side. Perhaps I go that way because this friend seems very persuasive to me in calling me to do what I should not be doing. The gullible one doesn't really know how to discern between truth and error, between things that are coming that are leading them towards Jesus and leading them away. They just sort of remain in this state of, I don't know. I guess I'll just follow whichever one I decide to follow. And what wisdom, I think, says here is that that leads to scoffing. Now, scoffing is somebody who's in open rebellion against God. That leads to scoffing and ultimately leads to you being a fool, which is, in case you haven't figured out, not a good thing in the book of Proverbs at all. You don't want to be a fool, right? And so wisdom has this trajectory. So here's here's what I'd say. Parents, as you're taking, as you're, Um, teaching your kids and and helping them move towards Jesus, shepherding them, if you will, towards Jesus. Don't let them remain gullible. Innocent, yes, right? Small children are innocent. They're not aware of all of the horrors of the world that are out there. But here's what you even have to be doing with small children. Teaching them to discern the difference between truth and error at an early age. So that as they begin to grow up, they're understanding that there is a right way and a wrong way. And even some of the persuasive friends in their lives, even people that will be otherwise very, very persuasive to them, will be calling them to something that they should not be doing. And the earlier you have helped them to see and discern and understand what God's word has to say, they're going to begin to discern that that's not right. But if they grow old, older and they begin to grow up, and they begin to still lack that discernment, they're going to be all over the place. And they're going to be drawn into things that they otherwise would not have been drawn into. So wisdom is here speaking to the gullible, saying, don't be gullible. Parents, train your kids to not be gullible. Teach them about the presence of darkness, the presence of the enemy, the presence of the wrong way, that he's calling them there. So, we we move from there into the next section, which is called Wisdom's Promise. Now, let's look at Wisdom's Promise in verse 23. Chapter 1, verse 23, here's what Wisdom says. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So, that's what Wisdom is now offering if you turn to her. Now, notice the word turn. First and foremost, wisdom is calling you to turn. Now, that word in Hebrew is the same word for repent. To turn from going another path and to actually turn away from that path to go towards wisdom. This is repentance. This is the Old Testament word for repentance. And so notice that wisdom 
assumes if you're not following her, you're following something else. I want to keep hitting this point if you've heard it from me before. We are not neutral. We, we don't ever live life having sort of just sort of between the good and the bad, the way that we should go and the way we shouldn't, and just sort of sitting in the middle going, you know, I haven't decided yet. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's wisdom. I'll just go and follow wisdom. No, this is what Ephesians chapter 2 says about us, that everyone who is outside of Christ, he tells them, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following, ultimately he says, Satan. That's us before we turn to Jesus. That's us before we turn to wisdom. So wisdom anticipates that, knows that that's true, and the first thing you've got to do if you're going to listen to wisdom is turn from the way you were previously living. And then what does wisdom promise if we do that? If we turn from our way, if we go towards wisdom, towards Jesus, here's what wisdom says. I will pour out my spirit to you. I will pour out my spirit to you. You noticed in in John, Jesus actually tells the disciples to wait. Because as he goes and ascends to heaven, he's going to pour his spirit out upon them. And I believe we get that fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls upon those gathered uh, disciples and apostles that are gathered there in the upper room. And thus begins the New Testament church. And so today, here we are as New Testament people that if we will turn and we will come to Jesus, here's what Jesus says, I will pour out my spirit upon you. That we will have the Holy Spirit, God himself, the Holy Spirit, residing in our hearts, guiding us and leading us. Jesus says, I will pour my spirit out upon you. This is where we get the term, by the way, spirit-filled Christians. But that's misnomer because there is no such thing as a Christian that is not spirit-filled. Every one of us, as we've turned and we've repented and we've turned to Jesus, Jesus says, I will pour my spirit out upon you. He has promised that. Then he says, spirits, uh, wisdom says, I will make my words known to you. Now look at John 17, 8. I've got it on the board behind me. Here's what Jesus says. For I, he, Jesus is speaking to God the Father in prayer. Here's what he says. For I have given them, his disciples, the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So wisdom promises to pour out her spirit. And wisdom promises to give them her words. Here is Jesus promising to pour out his spirit. And now promising to give to his people his words. The words that he has for them. Parents, give your children the promises of what it means to follow after Jesus. Remember that Christianity is not about simply do right because I said so. We, we get into that mode as parents. You need to do right because I said so. What we need to hold out before our children is the promises of what God's word tells us about what it means to actually follow him. Now, 
this is tricky, right? Because if we hold out the rewards and the promises, what's the, what's the concern? The concern as parents is that we go, well, if we hold out heaven to them as a reward, they're going to want heaven and not Jesus, right? That's a good concern. I'm glad you have that concern. But, but here's the deal. The ultimate reward, the reward that every other reward is pointing towards is Jesus himself. Heaven is not simply a place where we play harps and sit on clouds. Heaven is a place where we are with Jesus. That's the point of heaven. And so we hold that vision out to them and we say, this is what it is like to follow him. This is the ultimate result. There may be difficulties and pain and trials in this life, but this is ultimately where it's going. Don't forget to hold out those rewards before them and say, this is the reward of following Christ. Because wisdom here is holding out that reward and saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to give you my words. There are rewards that are being presented. And there's also wrath for not following this way. So hold out the rewards, but also hold out the wrath. Help your kids to understand what is at store for all those who will not turn and follow Jesus. And that's actually where we go next in our text. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. Now I'm going to warn you, this is an intense, intense portion of Scripture. And, 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 and I, I pray you will follow with me, and I pray that you will, you will allow me to explain certain things about it, and... Uh, that, that you would understand God's heart in this entire thing, okay? So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. Here's wisdom now. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Now, there's a lot here that we don't have time to cover every line, but I want you to see a couple of things. Notice in verse 24 that wisdom has called out to them, but they have refused her. Do you see that? Wisdom's called out, but apparently we're, we're transported into the future now where, where this person or these people have now refused the call of wisdom. And then there's an irony here. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, they will call out to wisdom, but what will wisdom do? Refuse them. Friends, there is a time to call upon the Lord. There's a, there's a finite amount of time. 
And then there's a time where it is too late. You will die one day. And perhaps, heaven forbid, but perhaps, there would be someone in this room, you would die one day outside of Christ, not having listened to wisdom, not having heeded Jesus, following after him. You would die outside of Jesus, and you would stand before God in judgment. And perhaps at that moment, you would know the truth. I'm standing before the God of the universe. He's there on the throne. There is Jesus. Jesus is true. This whole thing is real. Everything that I've been pushing down, suppressing, saying is not true, talking about how dumb it was the entire time is real. Okay, Jesus, okay. All right. I, I want salvation. I want, I, I want to be free. I don't want to be under this wrath. I want to be free from it. And it's too late. It's kind of like this. A king takes over a kingdom that was previously ruled by a wicked king. And the king that takes over the kingdom in his grace and mercy says to everyone in that kingdom, lay down your weapons of rebellion and bow the knee to me. And there are some that do. And there are others that don't. They hold on to the weapons of their rebellion. They keep fighting an insurrection against the king. They keep pursuing the previous king that they had. And at some point, the king who is now the Lord, who is the Lord of the kingdom, says, enough is enough. I gave you time to lay your weapons down. You did not do that. I have now identified you as a true rebel. That's it. And friends, may it never be that any of us stand in that position. Now, you might just be thinking to yourself, this is just harsh. This is, this is, this is angry and mean coming from this pulpit right now. I, I want to say one thing to that, okay? I want to remind you of something. This thing that the father has just written to the son, it hasn't happened yet. Do you, do you get that? It hasn't happened. He's creating a future, and he's talking about a future, and he's saying, son, this is what it will be if you refuse wisdom. If you don't follow Jesus, that's what will happen to you. But he's doing it at a time when the son can still choose. And in fact, everyone in this room is hearing this at a time when you can still choose. So to me, that doesn't sound harsh. That actually sounds loving if it's the truth. This is like if my son who's sitting out, who's, who's two years old, decides that he's in the parking lot, and he wants to make a beeline for Baseline, this street out here, that, by the way, has cars just flying by it, sometimes at 50, you know, 55 miles an hour. And I see him as his dad. 
and I'm standing far away from him. And I start screaming my son's name. Owen! And I'm threatening things to him if he doesn't turn around. I'm saying to him, you get back here right now. And I'm just going berserk. Now, few of you would look at me if you knew the situation and say, that's a bad father. On the contrary, if my son was running for baseline and I said, Owen, oh, oh, Owen, buddy, maybe you want to turn around and you know, come back, you would look at me and go, what is wrong with you? Yell for your son. Scream at him if you need to. That's not unloving. Friends, this is not unloving. And if, I, and if I were to somehow dilute this and water this down and make this not quite as bad as it looks, because i got to be God's PR guy, and i got to make, you know, make him look a little better. This looks pretty bad, God. I'm actually doing one of the most unloving things that I possibly can by making you think that it's just not that bad. It is that bad. Will you hear? Will you turn? So wisdom ends with this. Wisdom has a final plea where essentially what wisdom is doing is setting before the path, the path of wisdom and the path away from wisdom. Let's call it the path of destruction. The path of wisdom and the path of destruction are being now laid out side by side. Let's look at Proverbs 1, 32 to 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So wisdom finally sets before us, what do you want? What path do you want? Do you want the one to destruction Or do you want the one where ultimately, ultimately, you will dwell secure? That's presented to each and every one of us in this room. Now, last thing I want you to see is notice the word complacency of fools in verse 32. Now, I've said this before, and I need to say it again because I think it really ultimately matters and needs to be repeated. Most people will not go to hell in judgment before God, raising their fist at God and cursing him until their dying day. That's not how most people go to hell. Most people go to hell because they hear the voice of Jesus calling to them and they are complacent. They just go... It just didn't matter much to me. What's for lunch? And so I plead with you to understand, and what I've tried to do in this sermon is to help you understand how much it matters. 
And that if you have questions about the Christian life, if you're uncertain about certain things, get those questions answered. Pursue those questions. And ultimately, fall at the feet of Jesus and pursue wisdom. And parents, your job as a parent is not ultimately to make the decision for your children. Your job is to shepherd them in such a way that these, they see these truths for what they really are. And they understand that there is a way of wisdom and that there is a way of destruction. And that if they would follow the way of wisdom, there are great things in store for them. But destruction is a terrible, terrible option. And help them. Shepherd them to these truths. It's incredibly simple, isn't it, when we break it down like this? It's not complex, but it's an entire lifestyle of shepherding our, our children towards Jesus. So I encourage that, and I encourage you, if you're not quite there, you know what I mean? Like at that place where you are rooted, we use this term rooted in the gospel. I would tweak that slightly and say rooted in Jesus, which is the gospel, right? Rooted in Jesus, if you're not rooted in him, you've got to be rooted first before you're calling your kids to be rooted. So pursue him. Follow after him. He's calling to each and every one of us. Will we come? Let's pray. Lord, I ask you by your Holy Spirit to come and meet us in this room right now. And there are many that have perhaps obstacles in their way of really coming to the place where they are rooted fully in you, Jesus. And if they have those obstacles, I pray that by your spirit you would overcome those obstacles and that you would give them the heart that they need to be able to say, I want to follow wisdom. I want to follow Christ and who he is. And, and, and Lord, I pray you would help us as parents to lead our children to do the same. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.